0: For many, being bicultural also means wanting to raise our little ones, connecting to both cultures through language. We've often heard of all the benefits of having our children master more than one language, but what's the most effective way to do this without causing a speech delay or confusion? Today, we are joined by Grace Wong, also known as Speech Therapy Mom on Instagram, a bilingual speech expert who will give us her take on the best way to raise bilingual babies. (laughs) We read the books, we bought the things. We thought we were ready. And then life took our plans and changed them. I'm Karen, I'm Victoria's mommy, and I work in tech.
1: And I'm Pamela, I have a baby boy named Ford, and I'm a journalist. And although we're both first time working moms, we're we're actually actually pretty different. And that's totally okay. Because we both agree that our most important
0: work is raising our kids. We really need each other and can only get through this together. Welcome to Motherish Moments. Hi Pamela. Hi Hi, Karen. I'm excited for this topic because so our podcast is almost two years old and everyone is always asking about this topic.
1: So Today we're going to talk about it and we have an expert so it's not just us. we took a long time trying to find someone that we really enjoyed in terms of like the content they provide and the advice they provide. So yeah. we I came across her page on Instagram and I immediately thought she was perfect, you know? And and she, we'll get to know her a little bit more now and she could share her story and her testimony and she's also a mommy, of course. And what she's doing with o- her own children. I always think it's amazing to see experts really, you know, walk the talk and apply what they're advising on their own children. So
0: but also also in like a realistic way you know because you know instagram can be a little hit or miss <laughs> which is related to my motherish moment by the way so i am y'all know victoria starting preschool whatever blah, blah blah i've been talking about this for so long i'm you know i'm a mess about it but now i'm moving on into more logistical things about it so she has three different lunch boxes that i'm gonna experiment with and i've been trying to research because like Obviously, she's been home for three and a half years almost and she eats whatever I'm cooking for lunch. So, like, I don't have to think... Oh, how do I pack this? And how do I make it last three hours? It's like, de la olla. So it comes out of the pan, it goes into her plate, and we call it a day. And truthfully, if she doesn't like it, then I'll probably give her something else like you're not supposed to do, whatever. (laughs) So now I'm like, okay, I started trying to take a deep dive into like how to pack lunch for a preschooler. My issue here is that they're all like cold lunches or like the majority of what I see on Instagram or on TikTok is like, A typical American lunch? Victoria's a rice and beans kind of girl. (laughs) So I'm like, how am I going to get to like send her whatever? So I think I might have figured it out. But my entire Explore feed on Instagram is all like kids like bento lunch boxes. And I'm like, oh my God. Because A, I'm dying to dive into this, right? And I'm dying to like go all in. I've got all these stupid sandwich cutters. And I also am like, I don't want to be the people that, you know... Like, I hate this chick. Karen does these stupid unicorn sandwich, whatever. Which I don't even know what to put in a sandwich at this point. Because we can't even send anything with nuts. Like, I'm so confused. But anyway, I'm going on that journey. So I'm just giving you all a
1: heads up. Because my Instagram is about to become very preschool lunch. I'm excited. I actually... I bought the lunchbox you suggested, <laughs> one of them. And then I realized it didn't fit into the lunchbox. I had already bought him with his name on it, oh, engraved on it. Oh, no. Embroider, I mean. So I had to buy another little lunchbox for him. And my mission this school year is going to be a better... Snack Packer for Ford. Oh, look at that. I I think the, you know, that towards the end of the school year, the teacher came up to me and he was like, hey, by the way, you know, I think you might be a little bored of the tangerine and strawberries. Because obviously that's the only thing I could do, right? I could peel a tangerine in the morning and I cut some strawberries and I kind of throw it in there with like a, a little pack of something and veggie chips. Every day? Every day. But I could eat a tangerine every day. I love it. So I assumed he does. And I think he does also. I mean, it comes back empty. He's obviously eating them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think she's bored of seeing the same thing every single oh. day. <laughs> anyway, but my mother's moment of this week is... So, for now, is into... It's so funny now. We posted an Instagram like a reel of him dancing and he finds it so funny so now he's like at the stage where he he will ask to see stuff that he's recording he doesn't want me to record him he gets to know when I have the phone out so he I always have it like have to do it when he's not looking when he doesn't notice but I find it so funny now that he like recognizes himself and he laughs at it and he finds himself funny kids love watching themselves it happened to me this morning so that was my mother's moment of the week I haven't really had any it's been pretty mellow now summer break Grace,
0: we're ready for your motherish moment. Any high or
1: any low that you want to share with
0: us?
2: Yes. Um, so I just recently had a baby. She's six weeks old. And you know the territory that comes with having babies. You are doing laundry all the time. But yesterday in particular was one of those days where I legit thought I was never going to finished doing laundry, I usually put like a towel underneath me before I go to bed because breast milk gets everywhere during the midnight feedings. And so when I woke up first thing in the morning, I had a lot, I had like, I guess my breast milk is coming in. So then that first layer of bed sheets, I had to put in the laundry. And then I lay back in the bed, which is not a good idea. I lay back in the bed and then I started feeding my baby for the morning feed. Then when I was burping her, she just had this huge upchuck. And so then at that point, I was on the first layer of the mattress protector. And so I was like, all right, well, I guess this is not going in. For some reason, it didn't dawn on me that um, I probably shouldn't lay on the bed again now that I'm down to the last layer of my bed. And somehow I was FaceTiming grandma and in the midst of it, she had a blowout. So then I was on I was on my third <laughs> layer of mattress protector. And at that point, my husband came up and he was like, stop laying on the bed. Go downstairs. <laughs> like, start, start your day, you know, just get off the bed because there's no more layers for you to throw in the laundry at this point. And I just couldn't believe it. We went through three layers of bedding it's within like an hour that morning with a newborn. And it felt like a very motherish moment for me.
1: <laughs> and you also have a toddler, right?
2: Yes, I also have a toddler. She is two and a half. She'll be three soon, and she is she's a joy. She's a joy to be around.
1: <laughs> you posted an Insta story. I just saw it this morning. Actually, she's kind of like learning to dress herself, and has a shirt on backward, and you're teaching her about the label. So she finally, like after struggling, gets her little t-shirt, her tank top on, her pink tank top on. And then I'm nowhere, she looks and she goes, I'm so cute. <laughs> and you label, like, yes. well, we need to learn to speak to ourselves the way that your daughter. And it, it was so cute. And I'm like, You're right, we're so cute. I mean, we have those moments. We, yeah, I'll, I'll always, I'm like, I'm so cute. They try to teach us that we need to keep that childlike mentality true. with ourselves, and we need to be more gentle with ourselves. <laughs> So let's dive into this hot topic for us. Again, we get a lot of questions. We are obviously advocates of being by culture. We're Peruvian. Spanish is my first language. English is my second language. My son, his father's Canadian. I am Peruvian. I get a lot of questions in terms of like, what does Ford not only understand, but what is he, I guess, starting to speak now? He's a boy, so he's staying a little longer, but now he's saying a lot of things, but I'll share my personal. So what we have decided to do is we do one house, one language. So we do only Spanish in my house. So the nanny speaks Mm. Spanish. I speak Spanish. My mother speaks Spanish. We only speak Spanish to Ford. Anyone who speaks Spanish only speaks Spanish to my son. And, you know, when the father is around, he obviously only speaks English. So he has another option. But I feel like he understands everything the father tells him. And now most of his words are in English because there's just are easier for him, right? So I'll be like, ponte los zapatos, like put on your shoes. he would be like, shoes. So I'm like, okay. And then I'll try to like get him to say like, agarra tu pelota. And he would be like, okay, ball. And I'm like, mm. <laughs> so I am struggling and like having to, you know, have him use the same amount of words in Spanish as he is in English. So that's kind of like, you know, summary, like my testimony. I don't know yeah. if Karen, you want to do your... Victoria Victoria is so cute when she like does the little English words
0: (laughs) She's, uh, she's struggling with the English so my daughter is three so I'm Peruvian I was born here in the United States but my first language is Spanish and my parents somehow miraculously accomplished for me to speak Spanish still and so my husband is from Argentina so also Spanish although a slightly different dialect and style, but we made the conscious decision that when our daughter was born, we were only going to speak Spanish to each other, even though we only speak English to each other. Mm. It's weird because like once you practice this, like for me, the chip, like I associate my thoughts and everything with Victoria in Spanish because it's three years of being committed and like sticking to this. So Victoria only really speaks Spanish. Because even our nanny that helps us is also only speaks Spanish. And most of her friends understand Spanish, even though a lot of them speak English. So she mostly speaks Spanish. She now has started to like learn some English words, but she will speak basically like uh, Spanish and English. Like she'll just be like, oh, instead of saying zapatos, she'll be like, "Mm, zapatos. Like, and she thinks that if she changes <laughs> the way she says it, then it's English. Yes. <laughs> so it's super funny. But now she's about to start preschool. And obviously there, I think, you know,
1: English, she's going to start diving more into it. I do need but- to add that Victoria has been very verbal from a very young age. Mm-hmm. So that's where my concern started. Because I my point of comparison was being around Victoria the whole time. So when we started the podcast, four was, I want to say like, Eight to nine months, months. yeah. And Victoria was already about a year. She's exactly
0: one year older than him.
1: So I'm like, okay, great. So in like a year, he's going to be, you know, reciting. Poetry like (laughs) Victoria's. So when he hit, when he was about like eighteen months, I was like, okay, my son's like he understands everything. I kept getting him evaluated. Like he doesn't need anything. He's fine. You're being, you know, you getting impatient. Stop comparing. Just kind of like lay off him. He'll be fine. But I wanted to help him because he was getting very frustrated. And, you know, he's also very physical, like a big boy. So I decided to start speech therapy proactively. Even the speech therapist was like, hey, I think you should wait a little bit. But we have been speech therapy since he was like, I don't know, like maybe like 21 months, right before he turned two. And it's been great. But now she does half in English and half in Spanish because a lot of the words that she said are He's like, I feel like he releases a lot of the stress because he's able to say the English words. So that's kind of like a summary. And we want to hear from you, Grace, what really works? What are some of the myths and what are the realities about really being effective when it comes to raising bilingual babies?
2: So actually, everything you guys said is so relatable. I think a lot of bilingual parents will find those challenges that you guys shared. And what's so funny is that bilingualism is actually really prevalent around all parts of the world. And percentage-wise, there are actually way more bilinguals in this world than monolinguals, people who speak only one language and have no other linguistic influences. But despite how common bilinguals are, the phenomenon of being bilingual is one of the least researched topics in science because it is such a fluid experience and fluid as in at each stage of life being bilingual could look totally different you know and I think a lot of especially first generation bilingual moms we find ourselves going through that wave of when we were growing up our parents were all about assimilation. Like, make sure that they know how to speak English before they go into school, or they're not going to have friends, or they're not going to make straight A's. And then we ourselves start to feel that peer pressure as we go into middle school, and then we completely cut out. We're like, we do not, we want nothing to do with our home language (laughs) or secondary language. You know, we want to be the cool kid. And then, you know, we go through high school, we go through college, and maybe we go on study abroad, and then we have kids. And then we're like, Oh my gosh, my home language is so important. I want my kids <laughs> to be bilingual because there's so many benefits. But then now I can't even remember how to say pineapple. In my secondary language or something, you know, and that's why I mean by being bilingual is so fluid. But bilingualism also comes in all shapes and sizes as in every single family, even if you compare two who have the same languages spoken at home, their community, their family structure and their backgrounds can look very, very different. And that's why it's so hard to Really study bilingualism and also pinpoint like trends and findings in bilingualism. But there are several things we do know about bilingualism, and I always, always preach it to parents a lot of times being bilingual takes the blame i feel like bilingualism gets to be blamed for a lot of any developmental anomalies delays or disorders a lot of times when a parent takes their child to the doctor and they're like we have concerns because they're not talking yet and a lot of times the pediatrician's first thing is well is there another language at home
1: even though
2: even though yes even though Bilingualism is not to be blamed and it has no contribution to why a child may be delayed or maybe displaying different things. That is a very old belief that bilingualism is what impacts a child's delay. So a typically developing child, whether they are being exposed to only one language at home or two or three, however many, their trajectory of meeting milestones should be similar Or the same. So, a child who has only heard English at home compared to a child who has heard both Spanish and English at home should start to have their first words between 12 months to 15 months. That's kind of like what we look at as speech therapists to make sure this child is on track no matter how many languages are spoken at home. And so that's something that we really want parents to know is that you're not hurting your child if you have desires to expose them to two languages or three languages or however many your family backgrounds comes with?
1: I think here in Miami we have a lot of fear I mean I, I think a lot of my friends too in our generation is we want them to speak Spanish really well so we actually avoid English I think a lot of the times that happens right like we commit to being like we speak Spanish we only speak in Spanish I mean that's the kind of decision that that we both made yeah. uh-huh. because we, everyone assumes like hey when they get to school they'll eventually pick up English so as soon as Ford started daycare That's when he started bringing home a lot of the English words, right? Like the shoes and the balls and I guess words that they were using at the daycare. But is that a good approach in terms of like, should we keep the homeland language at home so that because eventually they'll pick up English in school?
2: I have the same approach, actually. The way I am raising my children bilingual is through target language at home only, which um, or some people say minority language at home. For me, it's Mandarin Chinese. And a lot of times parents are worried that, okay, if we only speak our target language at home, will they go into school and just shut down or will they go into school and Just be at loss of what is going on. You know, I feel like people's advice for anything, like any goals you have in life, they're like, just stay consistent, you know, like consistency <laughs> and applies that's to such anything. Like a, that's such like a blanket advice. you are like, okay, so like every living, breathing moment, I need to stay consistent. You know, that it's not realistic. It's not practical. I feel like when I tell people to pick a method that you think you can stick to and stay consistent, what I mean by that is that we need to set expectations and parameters around our linguistic boundaries for our children. And so if it is what we have chosen to be speaking our target language only at home, then that's what we want to do. And it doesn't even have to be every single second we're at home, we're speaking this language. It can be a small, during bath time, bath time, this everyday routine is when we're going to stick to Spanish or um, during diaper change time, those routines, that's when I'm going to stick to Spanish. So that's the kind of like small pieces of consistency that I'm talking about. When I say, when you pick a method, that's what you stick to and you can start small. It doesn't have to be big. And with the fear, with a fear of I'm only speaking this language at home. And then once they go to school, they might be lost. There is something called language transfer. And what we did as parents who set them up with the foundation of the target language, we want them to speak at home. That is already imprinting this blueprint in their brain of how languages work in general, no matter what language you stick to. Okay. And once we've done that, we start speaking to them, no matter what language we choose, their brains are already wired to have like a default communication system okay they're learning like grammatical structures they're learning speech sounds they are learning new concepts vocabularies so as long as they have that starting right from when you know they're born they're getting that input no matter what other languages they get exposed to later down the road when they are four or five, there is a phenomenon called language transfer. And it is easier for them to pick up a new word, such let's say shoes, for example, that's what you're saying earlier. If uh, Ford only knew the word Zapato and he goes to school and one of their tasks is to put on their shoes before they go to the playground and the teachers are pointing to the shoes and saying, put on your shoes, everybody, put on your shoes. And very quickly, Ford is going to connect that, oh, the teachers point to the shoe and saying, shoot must mean zapato.
1: It really is amazing seeing this like the so little brain crazy. process. You know, so on top of that, he takes Mandarin in school. They have Mandarin once a week now. Amazing. Yeah, and it's funny because one of my neighbors, mm-hmm. how I recommended her I'm like, oh, you know, go toward the daycare. I really love my daycare. Like, it's a great school. It's a progressive school. Yeah. So she come back and she's like, you know, we decided not to because my husband was afraid that Mandarin was too much. So on top of the English because her husband's, he's American. She's Colombian, of background Colombian. And she's like, you know, the Spanish and the English and then on top of that to throw the and oh I'm like No, I would have been so excited I know I was like oh okay well you know like I don't know you don't want to like of course you respect no, you like I know. and again I didn't feel I guess at that point worlds. Not first, but I guess like comfortable enough to kind of argue the whole language. That's why we wanted to do this episode. We
0: know we will. We know you know, we
1: will. I feel like if I had the background or not, like, hey, by the way, did you know that? You know, but I really wasn't that comfortable. I mean, again, maybe I'm naive, and you could correct me, Grace, when it comes to like, isn't it like the more exposed there are to different languages, I feel like they know who speaks what language, how do they interact with that person? Because not only just language, and I yeah. think we should highlight this, it's ultra. Culturally, Like how they play with certain people in their language has a lot to do with how they relate to that person also.
2: Actually, that is another myth that I wanted to highlight. Um, Children are born with like the ability to differentiate language as young as like six months and on. Once they have that dominant language established in their brain, when they all of a sudden hear another language, scientists have studied that their facial expressions changed. As young as six months, they're like, oh, that did not sound like the language <laughs> that I hear at home. And which is incredible. You're like, as young as six months, that's so crazy. But I also do want parents to know that speaking more than one language or speaking two or three languages is not considered double the work. So with your friend who is like concerned about, oh, if we add on Mandarin, is that like too much linguistic load on my child? The way we actually should be looking at it is that when a child learns a word in two languages for example zapato and shoes it's equivalent to a child learning the word big and large they're just synonyms of each other okay so children can compartmentalize the different languages in their brains but also it's just totally separate it's not double the work it's just like oh this is a new concept i'm learning and it means zapato so now i know that shoe means zapato it's never to be considered like oh it's more work it's just your child learning and absorbing more as they typically do in everyday life
0: it's so fascinating the description around like how the first language whatever it is sets kind of like the blueprint for languages in the brain. I experienced this realization like later on. So, you know, my first language was Spanish. Around four years old, I learned English. I started going to school. I came back. I told my mom, like, I don't speak Spanish anymore. I only speak English because I'm American. And she was like... No, insert long, (laughs) typical Latina mom phrase in Spanish. Like basically you will starve in this household unless you ask for food in Spanish. But then in high school, first day of high school, first class ever, I started taking Italian and I ended up taking Mm -hmm. Italian through college, actually, and I really loved it. Fun fact. I don't think you know I this took about two me.
1: years of Italian because I had to take a foreign language that wasn't my yeah. my you know home language. But I feel like I forgot everything. I went really deep with it. Like I'm talking <laughs> about like
0: competition essay writing competitions. Like wow. I, I went really deep with it. But when I was learning Italian, I also felt, and also my teacher was incredible and we're still very close friends to this day. She basically taught me the structure of a language because when you grow up and you learn a language that you speak, you don't understand, like, you don't do practical work on how does a language work. Like, this is the root of a word. These are conjugations of every single word. And like, when I was learning Italian, I was like fascinated by how languages actually are structured and the similarities between, for example, all of the Latin uh, rooted languages and like how these conjugations are all kind of the same. It's just different depending on the language. Like it was just so mind blowing. And that's where I realized like languages, we just learn it, but we don't realize the mass like structure and process that our brain is actually taking in, in the process.
1: How would you summarize, Grace, the four methods that you think may be more effective at home right now for those who are either for the mommies who are pregnant or they are, you know, they have little ones at home right now?
2: Bilingualism comes in all shapes and sizes. Those four methods that people always share about, it doesn't have to look exactly like what we say they are to be done. You can totally tweak it a little just based on like what other languages your partner speaks or what other languages they may be exposed to at school. Um, so the four primary methods, one is the most common, common one that people hear about, especially for multilingual families, is one parent, one language.
1: One time I walked into uh, the baby's nursery and I found his dad reading a Spanish book, but like pronouncing everything really, you know, like, el gato toma leche. And I'm like, don't do that. Like, (laughs) read in English, he'll get it. He's, you know, like, which was so sweet that he was making the effort to kind of like stick because we're doing the Spanish with the baby. But I was like, no, 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 I want you to do English and we'll do Spanish and he'll be fine. For me, the one pair in one language is the most effective one?
2: Realistically, I would say it depends on like how much of the home language this the other partner understand, right? Because some moms will find it very awkward. They always tell me, I can't do it in front of my husband because like he doesn't understand it and I don't want him to feel left out. So that is something that like If that's the method you choose, then it would be optimal if, you know, your partner is someone that is open to it. Even if like at the dinner table, you're saying a string of things that he doesn't understand and he doesn't feel included, but for the benefit of the child, he would be on board with it, you know? And then the other one that is also very common, which is, I would say more doable in small pieces for parents who are just starting to exert a new language is known as time and place which just means what I was saying earlier, setting boundaries and parameters around each language. So, for example, we will only speak Chinese when we are at grandparents' house, or we will only speak Chinese, let's say, Monday, Wednesday, Fridays. There's this YouTuber that I followed for a long time. She is trilingual, and she speaks Japanese, Chinese, and English. And she always shared that the way she was able to completely be fluent in all three languages throughout her entire life is because every week her mom would give her like a grid of seven. And for each column, she has three different colors to choose from. And, you know, each color represented each language. And she got to pick which color went into Monday, which color went to Tuesday, which color went to Wednesday. And so as our kids grow older, you know, they want that autonomy. They don't want to feel disrespected. Like, well, why is mom trying To force me to speak this language when I know I can speak all the languages, you know, and so kind of giving them that autonomy, giving them that time and place. You can pick what time and what place you want to speak this language as long as you also pick other time and places we speak this other language. And so that is the second one I would call time and place and then the simplest one I would say that kind of goes into time and place is target language at home only which that is the place we are speaking minority language that's the one that I choose just because both me and my husband do speak Chinese and so when we're home we only speak Chinese. the second we step into the garage the, the second we pull in we're tuning into Chinese and that is just easier for parents. I would say easier for parents who only have one target language to worry about. Um, and then also you just you, have, you don't have to keep track of oh, okay, I think I said during this time I'm going to speak this language. Did
0: you and your husband at the start of your relationship, did you speak Chinese for the basis of
2: your relationship? No. Okay, because no. this is where
0: I'm like yeah. how do I change my love language now? I can't. <laughs> I, I don't know how to do this.
2: <laughs> no, no, no. I totally agree. So we met in biology 1101 in college and I totally only spoke English with him. And we flirted in English. You know, like I was like, how do you even flirt in Chinese when we first started having kids? And there's like this awkward gap. You have to talk to each other about your priorities. Like, I'm sorry, I want my kids to speak our target language. And so we're going to have to start. And even if it just means like in small, small pieces, even just good morning, like that's how we started. The first thing in the morning, we would start saying good morning in Chinese. And it was really awkward in the beginning, but then in about like a week or so, that was okay. And so now we moved to, okay, good morning. And during breakfast time, we're going to try that, you know, and we went in small segments and slowly and surely Chinese became the dominant language in our family. But I will say I did start that right when my first baby Zoe was born by the time she really was like having her first words that was when we have pretty much shifted and adjusted into totally speaking Chinese. But a lot of parents also will wonder, when I start to do that, I naturally mix languages and I can't help it, you know. And that's called code-switching. It is a very common and typical phenomenon in bilinguals. And again, that is also OK. Even if you choose to do target language at home only and you find yourself switching back and forth, As long as your priority is on the target language, it's okay. You don't have to worry about confusing your children or mixing them up. And what's the fourth approach? And the fourth approach is... If you feel like everything else is just too overwhelming and you're a bilingual yourself, then it's just called mixed languages. You just mix (laughs) the languages as we were just just talking (laughs) about code switching. (laughs) Yeah, it's free for all, but your children are still getting exposed to both languages. What is happening in our brain when we switch back and forth is that the two languages are always competing with each other. So when I try to think of the worst shoes, if Zapato got there first, then that's what comes out. If shoes got there first, that's what comes out. So they're always in a competition. You know, so
0: while well, my mom speaks to me in Spanish and I respond in English and I never noticed mm-hmm. that until my husband started hanging out with us. And he's like, watching you guys is really weird because you have a full conversation, emotional conversation, all kinds of stuff. Yeah. But it's it's a conversation in two languages. And I'm like, no, that's not true.
1: And he's like, yes, it is. And I didn't notice it, like, my whole life. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because I never knew, my mom even knew, spoke English. <laughs> and so one time, My I remember I was doing homework with my sister, and we hear her arguing with the FPL, like, with the electricity company, in English, like, you know, presenting her argument pretty, like... I was like in shock. And I remember I looked at my sister and we're like, when did she learn all this English? But it's because she was so wired to only. And I think also a little bit of her got embarrassed in front of us to actually speak English. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. she would do it like when she had to at work. But in front of us, like we, I never even think of my mom. Now she speaks obviously in English to Ford's dad. But I don't know. It's funny because you're right. I think they get this. They're so wired to speak a certain language with us that they're just they don't do it. In front of other people, but just to close that off, Grace, I think there's also a lot of confusion where I think people sometimes give up, right? Like they prioritize. <laughs> I want my child to speak, and I have a speech delay. And if language is a little too much or confusing them, then I'm just gonna drop it. So, because I had a friend who was like, you know what? He started speech. Not The speech therapist only does English, so we're only going to do English now. So now the kids don't speak any Spanish. The children don't speak Spanish because she was so more concerned about the speech delay than actually prioritizing having a bilingual child at this point.
2: That kind of goes back to my very first point, is that bilingualism always gets the blame, right? And I want to encourage parents to recognize that exposing your child to more than one language, again, it's not increasing the workload it's not increasing the mental load it is just introducing them to new concepts as you would in if you were only working with one language studies actually just recently came out a lot of herons with Children with autism, they are concerned that if my child has autism, then I shouldn't introduce another language because kids with autism, some of them may not be verbal. But the truth is that children with autism can also be bilinguals. And it also showed that children with autism who were exposed to more than one language at home actually had a higher rate of being verbal in general. And so I do want to encourage parents who may be concerned with language delay or any language linguistic disorders to know that when you are adding another language into your child's blueprint, it's not making it harder on them. It is just giving them more opportunities to communicate in different forms and in different colors. So to go at it, if you can provide your child a gift of bilingualism, I will highly encourage you. It's such a gift.
1: It It is is a gift. And I think we have such a privilege. I think people that don't speak another language are actually proactively looking for ways to implement a second language for their children. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. 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 Oh,
0: this was awesome. Thank you so much, Grace. Now I'm pumped. I'm like, you know what? Now I also realize how I'm like low-key embarrassed. Like one time Victoria was trying to say something to me in English and I (laughs) pretended that I didn't speak English. And she looked at me. She was like, No. (laughs)
1: Like, I know that you speak English. Well, I think the sacrifice that you and Juan have made has really paid off. She's amazing, Victoria's incredible. I love watching her and how she's developed. And it's not just the language; it's how she expresses herself and just the character it's she has. Character. It's, thank, you. thank you. So, whatever you, whatever you. sacrifice you had to make, it has no, no, been no, worth it's good. it.
0: Good. Now I'm gonna go and see, and I'm gonna speak only Spanish to and, Juan. Oh, and He's I love.
1: What? I love Grace and you said like once we had children, we we're like, oh my God, it's all about like our yeah, home yeah, man. Yeah, 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 like yeah, I literally wanted like we're taking like the Peruvian hats, the llamas, the yes, Peruvian food. It's yes, like right. oh my god, like my heart just exploded <laughs> with pride and I just want him to like be and feel Peruvian. You know, we just have like, like battles me. at home because like so
0: in Argentina, the Spanish that they speak, there are words that are different, right? And so yes. like for example, you have strawberry in English that for us would be fresa, but for them is frutilla and so like when she was really little boy, he. I think he lost this battle but when she was really little I would be like mami mira una fresa and he was like frutilla and I'm like fresa <laughs> frutilla fresa and then she's looking at us like you psychos and then the nanny is like fresa and I'm like oh <laughs> like you lost <laughs> but I think now she knows though like she'll be like papi and now dice frutilla yeah. and mamá dice fresa so I'm like okay great you got it um, but thank you so much so everyone please follow uh, Grace speech therapy mom on Instagram super fun videos by yes, the way and by the
1: way you're yeah. a hero because you are you know, with a newborn and with a toddler and you still found time to sit with us. So thank you so much. Yes,
2: of course. It was my pleasure. It was so fun talking to you guys. Likewise. Thank you.